my boyfriend's part of this reading group right now that's reading like Capital by Marx. Okay. And they had their first meeting of the reading group on Sunday. And so for like two weeks, he's been like, I have to like, re- I have to read tonight. And I'm like, no, that's okay. Like, I have to watch the Powerpuff Girls tonight. I, um, I don't want to say whose group is more important, but <laughs> I bet a lot of people have watched the Powerpuff Girls rather than who have read Capital. So, <laughs> I... Uh, we'll jury's call, out. We'll call it, yeah, we'll say that the jury's out. Um, on that one, <laughs> I, yeah, I wanted, I don't know. I, I, the show keeps being fun. So I was like, I don't know. I felt this weird insistence that we watch most of it. If, if not all of it. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely probably among the funniest shows that we've watched so far. Just like out and out funny, you know? Yeah. They, uh, definitely make so many jokes oh, and for me- sure. meta jokes too um it's just great just they had a very keen sense of that that was kind oh, of yeah. a pun if you remember miss keen keen <laughs> get it ah. um oh god so uh, do you want to introduce the show yeah yeah, yeah let's go um all right so welcome everybody today we, as you will have guessed by now, we're talking about the famous... Well, first, okay, just so everyone knows, I'm Paige. <laughs> and I'm Chris. And this is Animates. <laughs> right. Um, okay, I was going to talk about the show, and then I was going to say our names, but I realize your way is much better. <laughs> yeah, you don't want people listening for the first time to be like, who are these people? I can't enjoy this program until I know their first names. See, I kind of... Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, I should. <laughs> but I I didn't, but now I am. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about the Powerpuff Girls, which I have had a lot of fun with. Uh, and just so we can get the nostalgia train rolling, I'm going to put on the theme song here, which everybody should remember very clearly. Uh, so, much like Dexter's Lab, our previous Cartoon Network show that we talked about, uh, Powerpuff Girls has both an OP and an ED for all my weeaboos out there. So, distinct opening and closing theme songs. The Powerpuff Girls has that too. They mm-hmm. they have this like, it's got to be a J-pop band singing like about the Powerpuff Girls. I'm, I'll dredge it up here at the end. It's not actually a J-pop band. I kind of assumed that it was, but it's not. They're Scottish. What? Wow. Oh, the- I, 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 I'm surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. There's nothing that says that Scottish people can't sing um, or be in <laughs> bands. So. <laughs> yeah, but they're, Scot- they're Scottish, which is not what I would have expected. You... I've thought that they were like a J-pop band since I was 10 years old. I you just turned my world upside down. Well, you know, I always hear it and I'm like, okay, clearly a Japanese band. But I was listening to it closely and I was like, no, that's not how 
Japanese people sound when they sing in English? Are they maybe German? So I looked it up, Scottish, and I was like, I don't know what's happening here. This defies all expectations. As as does the show itself. Um, ooh, hashtag segue. Um, <laughs> no, so the Powerpuff Girls was a show that I watched quite a bit as a kid. I'm glad that I watched it as a kid. Um, it's a good next step because it follows like clearly from Dexter's Lab. The both of them are Hanna Barbera cartoons originally. They share a lot of art style similarities. They do have quite a few, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. There are, I don't the science aspects of both shows feel the same. Like Professor Utonium is kind of like a restrained Dexter. Um, it also is probably really similar because it had a lot of the same people like working on each show. We talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that last time when we talked about Dexter's lab. So you'll remember Craig McCracken. Um, <laughs> Mr. McCracken worked on Dexter's lab as a director and he made the Powerpuff Girls. He also went on after the Powerpuff Girls to create and show run Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Which is another uh, amazing show. Um, yeah, it's really fantastic. That we'll talk about. <laughs> um, so McCracken developed a show in 92. And uh, this blew my fucking mind. It, he originally called it the Whoop-Ass Girls. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't Chemical X that was put into the sugar and spice and everything nice. It was a fucking can of Whoop-Ass. Um, which I think is great. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it is so good. You can see why they changed it for Cartoon Network. Yeah. Like literally producers were like, okay, yeah. And everything, but parents aren't going to buy their kids toys that say ass on it. <laughs> um, so he, the show was developed when he was still a student actually at Cal arts. So he had had the idea for a long time. I, I suspect that he, like, got his start on Dexter's Lab and then had enough clout to, like, show run another show. Um, so it was featured on Cartoon Network. Naturally, that's the place we're talking about right now. Um, and it debuted, not its pilot, but, it, like, the actual season started, like, on their cartoon, cartoon block. So again, this like big block of cartoons that we're talking about here, it aired from 98 until 2005, like its original season and then a movie. Again, we didn't watch the movie. We're doing TV. Yeah. So you may notice that we're actually sliding closer and closer to present day with these shows. It seems like sort of each show we do is running farther into the future. <laughs> um, 2005, I think, is the the latest year for any show that we've covered so far. Yes. Uh, hey Arnold came close, but not, not as far as 2005. Um, so, like a lot of our other shows, it has, like, it, one episode is too many 
episodes. Dexter's Lab had three, like three episodes per per episode. So we're getting a little bit more, I don't know, story heavy in Powerpuff Girls. It's actually yeah. it, it's excellent storytelling. Um, like they to, actually feature double episodes way more frequently than most cartoons, I would say. And when you get into the late seasons, it becomes like most of the season are double episodes. Yes. So just like a full twenty-one minute run, um, which makes it. I don't know. The show developed over time, and they clearly have like a good sense of storytelling. So I think they just found the mini-sode format limiting and must have just gotten rid of it. Um, so, naturally, McCracken, like, this is his show. He did every, like, he wrote, he directed, he produced, like, he had his hand in every aspect of the show. So, McCracken, overall, did everything. But uh, some of the main writers for the, like, the original run of the show, Jason wrote... Amy Rogers, Chris Savino, and Cindy Morrow are all heavily featured uh, at different points in the show's run. The show had quite a few directors. Um, they did specific things, but you'll recognize some of these names. Um, so John McInyert was an animation director. Lauren Faust was a supervising director. Lauren Faust, as we talked about last week, is... Is she still? Are they still married? Do you I know? I don't remember talking about Lauren Faust. So Lauren Faust and Craig McCracken were married at the time of the show. Um, mm. Lauren Faust went on to do My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Yes, now I remember. Now I remember talking about this. Yeah, so I don't know if they're still married. I probably should have researched that. But um, if they are great, if they're not maybe also great. I don't know about their marriage. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Gen Gendy Tartakovsky was also a director. Ah, yeah. And supervising producer on almost every episode. Yes. Did a lot of stuff on that show. Robert Alvarez was a director. Rob Renzetti, who I think was also on Dexter's Lab. And then Chris Savino. Uh, in the later seasons. Oh, okay. So I guess once Dexter's Lab wrapped up, he came over to Powerpuff Girls to direct a few times. Yeah, which would have made sense. Again, lots of in-house elbow rubbing, as mm -hmm. you'll call it. Um, the cast for the show is the... I don't know. Arguably, this cast is all, like on the same size as Arnold. Hey, Arnold. Um, yeah, it can be pretty ensemble at times. Because every episode, almost every episode features the three girls, their dad, Professor Utonium, the mayor, Miss Cerebellum, and the narrator. The narrator is his own character. Um, yeah, it's least... like fourth wall breaking. Which, by the way, I think that you mentioned some of these voice actors already, but... Um, it's like a really big showing. So, for example, Buttercup is, I believe that's Cindy Morrow. Um, uh, no, Buttercup is E.G. Daly. Sorry, did... yeah, but she's the voice of... Um, Tommy. She's also the voice of Tommy. Um, from the Rugrats. From the Rugrats. Um, then you get the narrator, the mayor, and a bunch of other side casters are 
outside characters are voiced <laughs> by the inimitable Tom Kenny, uh, like an OG of voice acting. Uh, you may recognize him as also SpongeBob SquarePants, the Ice King, and everybody else you've ever enjoyed in a cartoon ever. Yeah, he, he's the mayor. Almost sounds like SpongeBob. Like the they're so close. The mayor is right in between SpongeBob and Ice King. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good. Okay, I like that comparison. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Bubbles is voiced by Tara Tara Strong, who she's also somebody who we will have mentioned in the past and also will mention in the future because she voiced Dill from the Rugrats, but she also did Timmy Turner from Fairly Odd Parents. And then um, Kathy Savadini, she did Blossom, and she is most well known for voicing Tanya Mouskowitz in the Five Goes West movie. Whoa! I know, right? I, that was a f- that's a deep cut. That was, <laughs> it was a fucking blast from the past for me. I'm like, I start hearing all the songs in my head and. Remember how grimy New York was? I'm not even sure I've ever seen Five Ghost West. You are. Get out. Get out. You're not qualified to talk about nostalgia. Okay. Um, Every once in a while, those three years make a difference, dude. Uh, fine. Fine. Next, you're going to be telling me that you never owned a full VHS collection of Disney princess movies. Okay, no, we obviously owned like a hundred Disney VHS <laughs> yeah, tapes. Yeah, the masterpiece collection. Um, <laughs> original collector's items. Um, no, so we've got our main Powerpuff Girls, and then we've got Professor Utonium, their dad. Is his first name Eugene? I think the, it, I... All the way into, like, a third of the way through season five, they have never said his first name. And, in fact, somewhat conspicuously avoided saying his first name. Okay, so Professor Utonium is voiced by Tom Kane. Um, The mayor, we already talked about the mayor, but I want to point out that the mayor's first name is Mayor. I know, we see him sign it all the time. Like, you think that it's just, like, he's signing his position. No, his first name is, so, the mayor, mayor. Like, they do that a number of times in the show's run to point out that his first name is fucking mayor. So, for all we know... Mayor for mayor. Professor Utonium's first fucking name is Professor. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So we get oh my God. the the well mem- it would the in the time traveling episode where we see young Utonium, he seems like intrigued by someone calling him professor. So I don't think that it's his first name. Okay, yeah, it was a long shot. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take that as a long shot. Uh, so we have Miss Cerebellum, who I'm sure we're going to end up talking about quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. She was one of my favorite characters as a kid, and as an adult, I remember why. She was voiced by Jennifer Martin, and Miss Bellum is arguably the true seat of power in the city of Townsville. Um, yeah. we've, we've got Miss Keene, who's their kindergarten teacher. Uh, she's voiced by Jennifer Hale, who I probably know more than uh, Paige because Jennifer Hale is a very famous video game voice actor. She's 
I've oh, pretty much played yeah. every game she's been a voice actor in. I I learned that today, mind you. But still, um, point of fact, mostly video games, but famous nonetheless. She also voices the villains Sedusa <laughs> and Princess Morbucks. Respectively. Oh man! By the um, way, Princess Morbucks—that is her name. Yeah, her first name is like Princess, her first name is Princess, and her last name is Morbucks. Um, love it. Sedusa is possibly my favorite villain. I'm excited to talk about Sedusa. Uh, so we already talked about the narrator, who's this sort of—it's okay. So the narrator gets attacked or affected by the things going on in Townsville. So it's kind of implied that he is physically a person walking around just narrating the girls' lives. And that's really weird. <laughs> like, he, the, he's most likely just like a fourth wall breaking thing where it's like he's metaphysically everywhere, but also is like mm -hmm. affected by the things and the people in the show can interact with him. But a more literal interpretation is that he's just a dude in Townsville walking around narrating the girls' lives. Um, I, that's really gross. Um, <laughs> so Mojo Jojo, the, the monkey, the super, the super intelligent primate is voiced by Roger Jackson. Him, which I think is the best villain is voiced by Tom Kane. Um, who also does The Professor, okay. Yeah. Fuzzy Lumpkins is voiced by Jim Cummings. The gang Green Gang are collectively voiced by Jeff Bennett and Tom Kenny, who's also our mayor, right? He's also our SpongeBob. And then the Amoeba Boys, which are like the, le the least recurring characters of our recurring characters, they're all three of them are voiced by Chuck McCann. So the show has a big cast. We see a lot of really colorful people. Um, it's just great. It really um, is. Yeah. It's, it's a really deeply entertaining show. Um, if for no other reason that the animation style is great, because everyone else looks like a normal cartoon person with fingers and differentiated limbs, uh, whereas the Powerpuff Girls are just little blobs. <laughs> Yeah, and they're so round. Everything about them is circles. So uh, there's an episode that we're going to talk about where this difference gets like hyper focused. Um, Paige, it's when they go to Cityville, and like I'll explain what I mean. But basically, yeah, they're little blobs, and everybody else is mostly normal. Um, and other people think the show is great. The which by that I mean like it was very well critically received nominated for yeah. quite a few awards they won a number of awards during their original run so really the only criticism that people have had about the show is its tendency towards like wanton violence <laughs> um, which Paige and I will talk a little bit about I don't know I'm going to mention something about the ethics of the Powerpuff Girls because they're not as squeaky clean as you think they are um they're really not. Even my boyfriend was just in the room with me the other night, and he was saying, uh, Bo, they really, like, tread the line between, like, criminality and not. I think your boyfriend is a sad excuse for a man because he doesn't like violence. Because men are <laughs> supposed to like violence, Paige. 
But um, I don't know. I think he was talking about when the Powerpuff Girls were stealing things. I I mm, I I am directly attacking your his masculinity. So <laughs> I I. I'm merely the lens that society uses to tear us all down. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sure none of that is true. Um, and <laughs> I don't know what I did. Um, I don't know how you're going to get yourself out of this hole that you've done. No, I'm just in a mood today. Um, oh, so, man. <laughs> the Powerpuff Girls overall follow like a general format of superheroes save the day and this idea wasn't original we'd had superhero cartoons in the 80s and like none of this especially with comics the idea itself wasn't new but the execution like set the show apart from everything uh the biggest the biggest difference is that it features three little girls right um, Little girls, guys. Did babies, you notice like, when we said that they are in kindergarten? They Okay, this is another instance where we get a disconnect between the chronological age of our characters and their maturity. Like, okay. there's a stark contrast. Because they think like third graders, I'm going to say. Or above that. Like, Blossom arguably thinks like a sixth grader. Um, I think the times that we see them behave chronologically their age are moments when they're really vulnerable. So Bubbles is afraid of the dark and she likes to like draw and scribble and tell stories the way that a little kid tells stories where it's very unfocused. You know, or um, Buttercup really struggles with things like uh, sharing and saying that she's sorry and not just being mean, you know, and uh, Blossom is like really bossy and kind of a brown noser. So in the ways that they are people and not superheroes, they fit a little bit closer to their chronological age. But when we see them try and like be superheroes and their sense of duty and figuring things out and stuff, they seem much older. Like, despite some of their ethical problems, they do have a fairly, like, tempered sense of right and wrong and, ju like, duty and justice. And those are things that most kids don't understand. Like, mm -hmm. partially because kids, like, don't really have great abstract thinking and those are ideals that require, like, a little bit of abstract thinking to, you know, live up to. So, mm -hmm. but overall, the show is super, like, it, we've said this, and I just want to make the point that it's fun and it's funny. Um, it uses the format of, like, superhero stuff as a basic outline, but overall we get, we get all sorts of stuff. So we get morals, but they never feel heavy-handed. They feel actually, like, really genuine, but um, realistic, not sappy or preachy. Um, when the girls learn lessons, it feels like, I don't know, realistic. Besides yeah, the fact the that, times like, that they get the sappiest are actually the times where I like, don't necessarily agree with the moral that they're trying to impart funnily enough. Uh, do you have an example? Um, 
I don't know if we want to get into it yet, but the whole episode with Femme Fatale, I thought that they got kind of sappy with that. And I don't necessarily agree with the lesson that they were trying to impart in that episode. Yeah, that episode is a minefield. Um, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, there's... Uh, so, um, gosh, there are a lot of angles. I I stick firm to my belief that there's a lot to talk about, and I could probably talk about it forever. And it's hard to pick a place to start. Um, so, do we want to... It's difficult because there's lots of individual episodes with really explicit themes and there's a lot of stuff going on with just who the characters are. How, do we how, want to maybe do a little bit of character analysis? How, how about I, there are a couple of general things that I remember I wrote some notes on that mm -hmm. I, um, I just wanted to mention because they sort of cover the whole show. Um, okay. So first of all, the show is chock full of culture references um, that adults would have understood at the time, but kids would not have. And that has gone a long way in making the show appeal to adults. Um, to seven-year-olds and 37-year-olds, for example. Um, so, for example, in one episode where Bubbles is trying to prove she's a badass, spoiler alert, she is, um, they reference, like turning the dial on a laser or a training simulation they all the way to, to 11. 11. <laughs> yeah. So we've got, we've got some of that, uh, which back then that joke wouldn't have been as old, right? It I been, still thought it was great. It was like weeping. <laughs> yeah. It, it was definitely something where I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, it's like these people were me when I like, I like, me now back in the time of the 90s. I don't know. Um, there are a number of James Bond references. The biggest one is the cat episode where the mm -hmm. little white cat is sitting on the villain's lap. Um, but really the cat is the evil evil person, like evil mind control cat. Um, anybody who watches Futurama will realize that that is the plot of a Futurama episode. And... Futurama basically stole it. Um, Whoa! <laughs> I I know, but Powerpuff Girls did it first. They did a lot of things first. Um, for example, the Powerpuff Girls predicted the rise of Donald Trump. When did they do that? In the episode where Fuzzy Lumpkins runs for mayor. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. So... There's this election. By this point, we know that the mayor is inept. Like, he cannot do shit. Um, he's so empty-headed. He's, he's, he's got no good priorities, no ethics, no, like, ability to do anything. So it's amazing that he's a mayor at all. Um, so the elections are coming around, and wouldn't you know it, nobody's running against him. So Sarah Bellum is like, dude, you don't need to campaign. Like, nobody's running against you. But the mayor is like, I want to kiss those babies. And he runs around campaigning, and what he does is he tires out the people of Townsville. So the mayor's making a lot of noise, and Fuzzy Lumpkins 
off in the woods can hear the mayor's voice. And it annoys him because Fuzzy is really big on silence and personal property, which I will talk about later. And basically, Fuzzy Lumpkins comes into the city simply to tell the mayor to shut up. Um, so he's like, shut up. And the people standing around, all weary from the mayor's campaigning, go, shut up. Shut up. Yeah, I like that. Shut up. And so basically the people rally around Fuzzy Lumpkins and his shut up cry and the newspapers show us like over time fuzzy lumpkins pulling ahead in the polls um one of the newspapers says fuzzy popular among populists um (laughs) and when he eventually surprisingly to everybody's amazement gets elected mayor um he treats miss bellum like shit and he's like why don't you scoot in here so i can take a gander at you And I don't know, maybe it's a retrospective view of all of this. But to me, I was just like, wow, this is a a loudmouthed, rude person gaining popularity among people against entrenched, inept politicians, and then surprisingly pulling ahead to victory via populism. I don't know. Okay, I see your point. Yeah. But I do think that Fuzzy Lumpkins is a libertarian because his whole introductory episode is basically him being like, Money P. Well, I, I think if you look at him like him himself, you're absolutely right. I was more talking about the situation than him as an individual. Sure, sure. And like some of his like overt rude behavior. Um, all right, all right, I feel you. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 they called it. Um, the, the show is full of sex jokes. Constant. Constant. Constant sex jokes. Um, for example, Sarah Bellum lives on 69 Yodelin, the Val, Yodelin Valley Drive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 69 Yodelinda Valley Drive. So. And Yodelin the Valley is slang for uh cunnilingus cunnilingus i guess we'll say well to hey be polite. This, this is a mature show people already know <laughs> that we curse so basically cerebellum the voluptuous character lives like on sex innuendo boulevard yeah she lives on oral sex oral sex court <laughs> Oh God! Um, so I I had never heard Yodel in the Valley before, but the moment I heard it, I'm like, I know that that's got to be innuendo. Um, mm-hmm. it was, I immediately looked it up. Yeah, because I took a human sexuality course, and one of our assignments was to come up with uh, slang words for like parts, acts, stuff like that. And so in my brain, there exists a vague repository of the form that innuendos take. And so when I saw it, my, my sensors were like, I detect innuendo. Um, so yeah, um, great, great stuff. Um, this show, just like Dexter's Lab, is full of nerd innuendo as well. 
Um, yeah, also all kinds of anime references all the time. Anime, nerds, they referenced shit like the speed of light, um, time travel, the professor does full-on techno-speak. Um, the show is made by nerds. They're fucking nerds. Um, just like <laughs> Everyone you who has ever worked uh, at Cartoon Network is a goddamn nerd. Yeah, and they're not like the cool jocks who work at Nickelodeon. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh man! <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> that's really funny. That's really <laughs> thank funny. you. Um, the show isn't afraid to deal with heavy-handed or not heavy-handed, darker tones as well. Like there are numerous really intense. Uh, psychological situations that the girls get themselves into um, usually with him so I think we we should start by talking about the villains yes because the villains the most terrifying of the villains he uses magic and psychological torture yeah so the villains are a huge part of the show without them and their unique brand of stuff um they wouldn't be like the show wouldn't be great. And him is kind of like a Satan analog, right? He's a cross dressing lobster devil. Yeah. So his hands are, are claws like lobs, mechanical lobster laws, lobster. What's a, (laughs) (laughs) what's a lobster lob? Involuntary spoonerism. Um, so, and he speaks, he speaks in that airy sort of feminine voice. And then when he gets to his point, he goes evil. Um, mm-hmm. That is really unsettling. It is. It's super unsettling. And the fact that also, not only does he speak in the airy feminine voice, they always have it echoing. His voice is always echoing. It's really deeply unsettling. Yeah, ethereal. Um, yeah. So... Did you, Paige, did you ever know Frank, Frank McAndrew, the psych prof? So Frank has done a lot of research on what is creepy. Yeah. Um, Like the psychology of the feeling of creepiness. And creepiness exists, like, it's not, it's got aspects of fear in in it, but it's not like full-blown fight or flight. It's, um... The idea is that creepiness arises when stimuli don't make sense in a problematic way. So think about things that are creepy. Um, for example, clown clowns are like a creepy thing, which there's a really great clown in the Powerpuff Girls that is also super fucking creepy. Um, Very excited to talk about the clown also. <laughs> so um, clowns are creepy, because they wear, they, they, they take the features of the human body and they distort them in such a way that they're, you don't understand them or can't, you can't read whether or not they're a threat. So their makeup exaggerates or distorts facial expressions. Their features are weird and elongated. And so it, it's a human, but it's not a human. 
And so that, that my favorite example of creepy things is actually the uncanny valley, right? Yeah, and that hits on like the same idea is that it's so close to being human, but things are but off. But it's not. And the offness is like what generates creepiness. So ethereal voices going between dark and sweet is like perfect a perfect example of this idea that all of these things combine to make something that's human but not and it's really unsettling um and him also all of the other villains are pretty strong arm they use guns or gadgets or fists to enact their agendas him is playing the long game psychological Um, torture all of the other villains you could argue are inept, but him is not like he fails, but he, he targets fears. He targets psychological weaknesses. There's this really creepy episode about dreams. Oh God. I just watched that today. And it is a perfect example of why him is the most dangerous villain. And when the girls in one episode, hit the speed of light and we get some really cool relativity shit where time jumps forward 50 years in the real world. Um, him is the one that won. Like him is the villain that took over Townsville, not the others. And that is just proof that him is the ultimate winner because he is Him comes much closer to actually winning than anybody else ever and it, he does it every time because he often he is very good at making himself appear non-threatening right so the girls will trust him in various guises and he will use that to prey on their weakness like i don't know an abuser well yeah and and it's so effective because these episodes are the episodes that you truly see the Powerpuff Girls as little girls. Children. Mm-hmm. Little children. Um, because Bubbles believes that her stuffed animal is actually talking to her. And it's him. And eventually him takes over her octopus and attacks the city. And you're just like, fuck. Wow, that's really dark. Yeah. Or Bubbles thinks that actually a magic butterfly is gifting her with magic chalk and that nothing could be wrong with this magic butterfly, you know? Yeah. And then he manipulates her into drawing chalk monsters that come to life. It harkens back to, like, fairy tales where evil would take, like, many innocuous guys. Where the devil wears many faces, man. So, yeah, and he's the... He is... Professor Utonium specifically states that he is a metaphysical embodiment of evil. Like, this dude is evil given form. So there's no worse villain than that. It's like, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the adversary. I mean, the whole first time, the whole reason we call him him is because the first time he's introduced, they're like, oh, like the most vile, the most evil. You know, we can't even say his name, just just him. You know, he's the Voldemort of the Powerpuff Girls. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Excuse me, <laughs> that, that came out so unexpected. That came out as I was talking. I apologize to our audience. This is we're not in this for uh, slapstick humor. 
Um, <laughs> it was an accident. I had chili and <laughs> then beans are doing their work. Um, so him overall is my favorite villain, the best villain. And I think for me as a psychologist, he, he, he preys on phobias. Um, and, and the nasty, nasty desires of the human heart. Um, mm-hmm. He turns the city of Townsville against the Powerpuff Girls. Um, and that's terrifying. As a person, you're just like, even if you know that it's him that's causing it, experiencing a society turning on you is still a lot to handle. Yeah. Um, but they always beat him. They always win. And it, it sort yeah, of harkens... Yeah, Powerpuff Girls never lose. It, it harkens to traditional superhero structure in that they always wrap it up by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing's ever really... They always return to status quo, which is just basic storytelling. You know, like... Usually most stories at the end, you're, you're going to return to status quo. Um, so alongside with him, I think the next like most effective villains end up being maybe not in power, but in motivation. The most interesting villains are not actually our main cast, but the subsidiary characters that are turned against the Powerpuff Girls for one reason or another. Um, so, for example, there's an episode where some of the kids that go to the Powerpuff Girls school are... they, And they also happen to be like an ethnic, ethnically able-wise diverse group of characters. Um, it sort of reads kind of like a stereotypical... It's like a young black boy, uh, a young girl of Asian descent. They don't tell us, so we can only assume. Um, a, a skinny guy in a wheelchair and a, a larger girl. And they actually make a comment about, like, well, aren't you, like, a wonderfully diverse cast of characters? Um, <laughs> so... They are turned against the Powerpuff Girls because Mojo gives them access to Chemical X, which gives them superpowers, but he designs it in such a way that it'll run out. Um, this I referred to this as the Just Say No episode of the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, it also yeah, it's also a metaphor for drug addiction. Um, because basically they get a taste of power, they love it, and the next time they go back. Mojo is like, I'll give you more, but you have to do this thing for me. Um, which, that's like how people will get other people like hooked on things so they can use them. Um, same yeah, sort of it's thing. Like, oh, yeah, baby girl, I'll give you some more, but you gotta do something for daddy. So, in this case, like the kids are turned against the Powerpuff Girls, and it's like disconcerting. Because it's like their friends are suddenly attacking them. That's really not great. Um, yeah, that is unsettling. Um, so speaking of, uh, speaking of 
villain like one-off villains uh my favorite one-off villain uh is rainbow the clown who um is just a normal birthday clown nice guy who gets hit by a bleach truck and turned into an evil mime uh both of which i will plug this both of which are considered creepy clowns and mimes are both considered creepy by people mm-hmm so what when Rainbow the Clown gets turned into an evil mime, what he does is his touch sucks not just the color, but also the sound from the world. So the movie is becoming the show is becoming like a silent film slowly. Um, Bubbles is actually really cute. She's trying to color society back in. Um, and my like weird part of this episode is that like so the Powerpuff Girls, you know, they play a song and they bring color back to the world through love. And Rainbow the Clown becomes Rainbow the Clown again. He's like, oh, my God, girls, thank you for saving me. And they immediately beat him up and send him to jail. Okay, so, all right, we've got... We've got what two, the hell? We've got two things here. The, the latter issue is an issue of ethics, which we should definitely talk about. Um, but we're talking about, like, the specific villain in this case. And I guess you can't separate the ethical quandary from the villain uh, in this case. But... Um, the episode is really good in general. Uh, the music direction in particular was excellent because they play this really creepy organ grinder music when he's oh, running yeah. around stealing the <laughs> color from everything. And it's really, really weird. Um, yeah, I find I found that episode really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it truly seems like the bleach does psychologically change him. Mm-hmm. And so that when he's going around hurting people or stealing the color, that it's not him exactly doing it. But, exactly. Um, the girls naturally start a band and they sing the world <laughs> back into color. Um, <laughs> love, 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 love. I could actually find it's that. It's very song. cute. It's very Josie and the Pussycats. Yes. Um, but yeah, okay. So they beat him up. Paige is right. When he gains his color back, they beat him up and they treat him as if he were still the same villain. And I think that that highlights the fact that they're still kids. That they can't... They see the that person as like the same person that is still culpable for their actions. And it's like... A, it's more like a concrete legal system that sees... Regardless of like a situation, a person does X, they are culpable for X, and there's no like distinction. And I think that's like I also a failure see, of this. Like, part part of it is also the fact that everyone treats, except for the professor, pretty much everyone teach, treats these five year old girls like they're an authority on like lawfulness. So even though there are adults around who could be like, "Whoa, girls, girls!" like something bad happened, like you know, he should be held responsible, but, like, don't beat him up and put him in jail. It's, like, there there were circumstances involved. Um, nobody says that. <laughs> like, the girls are just, like, the authority on what is good and bad. And so there are a lot of times, not, not, I won't say a lot, but there are a number of times where we get this sort of, like, childish form of justice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the justice is more about punishment and jail than it, and getting beat up than it is about like rehabilitation mm-hmm. and other more humane forms of dealing with a problem. 
Can I give the other really big example of that one? Yeah, since we're talking about it, we might as well. Yeah, so um, Big Billy from the Gang Green Gang um, is sort of, you know, he's not the brightest one in the bunch, um, but he seems very sweet and easily manipulated. And the girls save his life, and the Gang Green Gang is mean to him. So he goes and hangs out with them, but he becomes overbearing. Um, and so the girls don't want to hang out with him anymore. And so the gang green gang is like, all right, you should kill the Powerpuff Girls with the train. Help us do that, which is almost how he died. So he ends up saving them from that and just saying that he's sorry. And the girls are just like, OK, but you understand what you did was wrong, was wrong, right? And he was like, yeah, I do. And they're like, OK, so you know what that means. And they beat him up. Like, he's a person that they know is, like, sweet and easily manipulated and was manipulated into doing this and realized the error of his ways and corrected it and told them that he understands that it's wrong. And they beat him up anyway. <laughs> like, right. what the hell? I So, putting on my psych glasses here, I would argue that what occurs when this happens numerous times in the show... The girls are using, um, the girls are making the fundamental attribution error. They are, this is something that we all do, I guarantee it, because it's a very common error in human thinking. Uh, it's basically the idea that problematic behaviors of others are due to some internal constant factor. Um, mm -hmm. which is just another way of saying that people... Uh, people do bad things because they are bad. Mm -hmm. Like they are at their core bad and an extension of that is very likely like thus they should be punished and they, they deserve it. So it's like morally okay to do that. Um, yeah. By so the way, like most people do not make this error about themselves. Well, okay, only so, about other people. Um, Hold on, because, okay, so there's the there's the fundamental attribution error, and then there's, like, the ultimate attribution error. Um, mm -hmm. This is part of the problem with psychology is there are, like, three names for, like, <laughs> this locus of biases that we have. Basically, mm -hmm. um, the one that you're referring to is an extension of this idea, which states that people attribute good things that happen like, as a part of that, like, I am a good person. Like, I did this good thing, thus I am a good person. Whereas, like, the good things that another person does that you don't like, you're like, they're not doing a good thing because they're a good person. They're doing a good thing because they want something. So, mm -hmm. good things are because of me. Bad things are because of, you know... It was a it was a tough situation. What was I supposed to do? Um, mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. other people, usually people that you are strangers or that you don't like, you're like, well, the good things that they're doing are because they want something, and the bad things that they're doing are because of them, like because of some mm -hmm. internal trait. And so, you you see this a lot in behavior, like in the world. But with the, the girls I'm specifically talking about, um, they're assuming that, like, for example, with the clown, they're assuming, like, 
you were affected by this chemical and you did bad things, but it wasn't really because of the chemical. It was because of you being a bad person inside and the chemical just brought it out or something. So that's the kind of logic that they're applying. And so to them, regardless of whether the clown goes back to being a clown and a good, like a nice nonviolent person, they're still bad. And it's very childish, uh, very biased way to look at human behavior. Yeah. Yes. So there, there, there is that. Uh, don't do that, people. Or at least try not to, because it's like a mostly subconscious thing that happens to all of us. Uh, you may think it, but then you can correct it. Like after you've thought it is usually what you have to do. You can't. All right. Yeah, a lot of things you can't automatically stop it from happening, but when you have the thought, you can consciously then go, but wait, you know, this is the thing that people do, so maybe I should be careful. So <clears throat> That's a good point, Chris. Good advice for our listeners. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough. There's a really cool book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow by, uh, oh my God, Daniel Kahneman, a very famous cognitive psychologist. It talks about mm -hmm. some of this stuff, so you should read it. Um, okay. Do you want to talk about the other villains? Yes, I do. So, okay. Uh, probably one that sticks out as being kind of in line with our discussion of country stereotypes is Fuzzy Lumpkins. <laughs> we've we've talked a lot about stereotypes. Um, this show continues the fine trend, apparently, of city focus and treating country people like this banjo loving triple x jug swigging gun toting private property loving like people um mm -hmm. very one-dimensional and we don't actually know fuzzy's not a person like well, okay he's some kind of creature he's some kind of creature but he's clearly got like presence of mind so he, what, the only conflict that ever arises because of him is because of his obsession with property rights. Um, he, he's like, um, he, he is like a violent libertarian. Um, the whole time I was uh, watching him, Fuzzy I was, Lumpkins is about a second away from going full ANCAP. But, but he's like. The whole time I was watching that episode, but I was like, but what about my nap? What about my NAP? Where's my NAP? Um, for those that of you, leaf violated the NAP. For, for those of you who don't know what an NAP is, uh, <laughs> it's so hard. Oh, man. It's the non-aggression non principle. It's like... And uh, it's the non-aggression principle, and it is a fundamental like underpinning of various like sort of right-wing ideologies like libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism it is which it basically is, it's their version of the social contract yeah basically so it basically means that if we all just sort of agree that we're not going to be aggressive towards each other or each other's property right emphasis on property is is fine and so, but, like, violations of the NAP can include, like, trespassing, you know, and that, like, authorizes you 
to respond with violence because they've broken the non-aggression principle, right? Yeah, so it's it's uh, I I want somebody to come yell at me about yell at me about this, but like the NAP just seems like so like contradictory. It's like, bad to itself. Um, like you enforce nonviolence with violence is no different than like our current world. So I fail to see how it's. We're not going to, we could go into this, but I, I, I get mad thinking about libertarians because they're usually really un, empathy is their main lack, like they lack empathy, period. Um, anyway, I hope somebody yells at me about that. Um, so Fuzzy, when somebody like, he violently attacks anybody that steps on his property or here's the problem, what he perceives as his like space and he includes sound in that so if he's on his land and somebody is making noise on their property he considers that a violation and so he goes and like attacks people um and this is especially prevalent when he he gets hit by a car and all of his stuff goes flying around like his banjo and his corncob pipe and his gun. And so people try and help him. Like they gather up the items and they try and bring them to him to help him. And he beats them up for touching his stuff. Um, so Fuzzy is very much like a one dimensional character. All libertarians are literally fuzzy lumpkins. Change my mind. <laughs> I mean, listen, Paige, if I'm not allowed to go attack somebody because my child slave ran onto their property, I don't know what you want me to do in life. You think it's a I'm violation of your most basic human rights. You think I'm joking, audience, but I am not joking. I have, um, I've heard, I've seen things on the internet that are basically that. Yeah, that's true, honestly. Like, people implicitly or explicitly okaying child slavery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mostly anarcho-capitalists with that one, but that's the easiest way to make fun of anarcho-capitalists. Um, <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't call it fun, um, because it's really sad. It is sad, but they're ridiculous people. Um, so Fuzzy, I, I really don't have much, that much to say about Fuzzy. Um, That's all Fuzzy is. It's I think it's I think he's funny because he seems to be lampooning a political ideology that I don't agree with. But I also think he's not funny because in order to lampoon that political ideology, they also use a bunch of gross stereotypes about poor people. Yes. Yeah, again, country bumpkin is something that I'm kind of tired of at this point. Yeah, um, me too. Like, it's not funny. It's not, like, sorry, like, being from the country is not synonymous with having reactionary political views. Yeah, or, like, the culture they specifically target is, like, Appalachian culture. 
Like it's yeah, not, and I am particularly offended by that. It's not. It's like mountain people stereotypes, like country mountain people, because like country stereotypes differ based on the like region of the United States. Um, mm-hmm. So like people who live on a farm in Iowa are not going to be the same as an Appalachian family. Yeah, and whenever people use that like Appalachian stereotype to lampoon like reactionary political ideologies, get really pissed off. I'm like, fuck off away from my people. We fought wars with the government and with capitalists and Pinkertons and <laughs> for labor rights. Wow. What? I'm sorry. I missed something. Oh, I said, wow. Did you just say, that's just, a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of fighting. It was all, it was mostly one fight <laughs> where all of the people were on, all of those people were on the other side. Right. <laughs> um, and on, and on quote unquote, our side was just like a bunch of fucking miners and hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> It was rough. It, was, it happened like a hundred years ago. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember that war's name. They were called the Mine Wars, and you probably never learned about it in school. Wait, you're not talking about the Civil War? No. What? I don't know about this. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. I'll have to go educate myself. Um, <laughs> all right. So villain wise, we get the gang green gang as well. Um, ugh. they make me feel icky. They, okay. So they're icky. The color is gross. It is gangrenous green. Like that is the color. The one guy with the eyes and the tongue. The bulgy oh. eyes. Oh my God. It, it makes my butthole pucker. It <laughs> gives you butthole feeling. Yes. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm not trying to be crass. I'm using that as a very specific calculated feeling. Cause there's no icky, butthole feeling is a thing. There's icky. And then there's pelvic floor clenching icky. Yeah. And like, also it just makes me feel like conceptually icky that the, the villainy of the gang green gang appears to me to be that they are older teenage boys whose greatest joy in life is beating and bullying very small children. Yeah, it's it's gross how uh, like mi- like adults are never involved. So okay, Ki- they they bully kids on a school playground, they bully kids on a public park playground. These kids are like seven. Where the fuck are their mm-hmm. parents? Yeah. Like, um, wh- excuse me, large teenage man. Like, Get away from my toddler. Yeah, like there are no parents around to stop this, and I can't understand it. Um, it's bizarre. So the Powerpuff Girls beat them up. Um, all the time. All the time. And and really, the Gang Green Gang is simply a group of ba- like. Their villainy is banal. <laughs> yeah, like, they're literally just stealing fucking slushies from 7-Eleven and, like, tripping five-year-olds. Yeah, they, they're hardly villains. Um, 
they do have some fun hijinks, like they kid. Okay, no, they go to federal level crimes when they like kidnap the mayor and. Oh take, yeah, they do that. They kidnap the mayor and they take over the Powerpuff Hotline. <laughs> um, that episode is actually pretty funny. Yeah, it's uh, good. But overall, they're not really that important. They're not good or bad. They're just weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. There is a really interesting episode where they they start school at Pokey Pokey Oaks Kindergarten School with the Powerpuff Girls. The implication being that these teenage boys do not have a kindergarten level education, <laughs> which, uh, um, and basically you you get this really interesting. This is a theme throughout the show. And it's that... Miss Keen is extreme lawful good. Okay, A, yes. B, um, a lot of times the girls or people around them get taken advantage of because they, like, blindly apply a positive moral ideology. So mm -hmm. everybody deserves a chance is an ideal the reality is that you're like, people usually deserve a chance, but based on context, there might be some people that if you were, if you give them like an extra chance, you know, they're going to fuck you over. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. The gang green gang takes advantage of this moral tenant and the girls are helpless because they also blindly follow it. Most of the times because of some adult telling them to, like, follow this idea. So, villains get a... Villains, like, have an advantage. This is taught to us in the show. Like, villains have an advantage because they're willing to take advantage of positive moral, like, ideas. Um, yeah, that is that does happen in the show a lot. Because um, the good people aren't willing to, like, break their codes, but the bad people don't have any code. You see it when the girls are not allowed to fight old people. So there's an episode where these, like, 1960s villains come out of retirement. <laughs> and the girls are not allowed to fight them because of the, the tenant, like, respect your elders. So they, they're like, but we can't beat them up because we can't. Um, oh, I misunderstood that episode. I thought they just didn't want to beat them up because they're old and it would hurt them too bad. No, it's because of a specific, like, idea that they are taught. I see. And so what they do is they're like, well, elders can beat up elders. So they go and they get some heroes out of retirement. And then the old heroes and then like the old heroes and villains fight and they all end up breaking their bones because they're 90. <laughs> it's really funny. And the, the idea that you the show communicate, like it specifically tells this to you, I think, the narrator or something. It's like if the girls had simply put them in jail from the beginning nobody would have gotten hurt. So it's this kind of idea that like sometimes by following a, like a moral like that to the letter, you actually cause more pain than you 
like prevent. Yeah. Can we talk about Sedusa? Yeah, Sedusa's another interesting great great villain Love here. Sedusa. She's only in a few episodes. But she is in the first episode. She's in the very first episode. Um and basically so the girls want the professor to date somebody and they meet this very pretty lady at the grocery store who says her name is Ima Good Lady. <laughs> Um, so she and the professor fall for each other and the professor moves way too fast in this relationship for a single father of three. Um, basically moves her right in, doesn't check up on how she is with the girls at all, allows her to start being someone who can tell the girls what to do and assign them chores. Really not a good move as a dad, professor. And she's evil and she's treating them like a horrible, evil stepmother. Um, and they can't convince the professor that it's happening. Well, lo and behold, it's Sedusa <laughs> who actually, there's a wanted poster for her in a much later season. That's like wanted Jezebel. And then it has her name as Sedusa. <laughs> so her villainy type is Jezebel. <laughs> um, uh, just to remind you, Sedusa's superpower is her hair. Yeah. It's really neat. So she's like a, she's like a combination on um, Medusa succubus type creature, basically. Oh, that's how you get Sedusa. See, it mm-hmm. works on two levels because she seduces people and looks like Medusa, but she's also a succubus type that is like Medusa. So it works on two levels. Succubi seduce people, Chris. I know, but they're two different words. <laughs> it's really wor- just one level. They're two different words, Paige. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she's just, she's kind of fun because I guess the first woman, that, like first villain that we see on the show is a lady who really even more so than her hair, her superpower is for sexuality. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, which happens with other characters. Specifically, yeah. one Miss Cerebellum. But um, continue And there's about a whole her. episode with Sedusa and Miss Bellum, too. That's a whole situation. Yeah. And so eventually the girls do get the professor to realize it's Sedusa because they pull off her mask. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting because the first episode we see are female female heroes fighting a female villain. And that's really super fucking uncommon. Oh, yeah, for sure. Never happens. Also, I'd like to say that Sedusa, in her real form, still hot, way more gay looking. She wears red with black fishnets. Yeah, Sedusa's a gay icon. So I... Not my... Not my gay icon. (laughs) Um... (laughs) My gay icon is him. Um... (laughs) Him confirmed queer. Uh, <laughs> no, let's be real. He's an embodiment of evil and as a metaphysical construct has no sex or gender. So, there. Um, yes, that is correct. But yeah, I Sed- agree with that take. Sedusa only appears like two more times. Yeah, she's a very... They'll show her picture in the background as like part of the rogues gallery and stuff. But they don't use Sedusa very often, probably because this is a show for children. Yeah. Clearly with streets like 
yodel into drive yodel into, <laughs> yodel valley. into valley i'm, I'm uh, sure that it's a kid's show um yeah so continuing on we're uh we'll finish up with the villains here and then we'll yeah. depart. so mojo i haven't mentioned mojo because he's sort of like the he's the most typical archetypal villain um he's also the most frenemy mad genius he's a mad he's a uh, he he tries to play up the misunderstood part but he's mm-hmm. a mad genius who uses schemes and technology to fight very 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 common amongst villains like traditionally so he doesn't bring that much to the table in terms of that but he's fun to watch and interesting to like watch what happens and I don't know. I like Mojo. He also is kind of a friend of me. Yeah, yeah. So it's not I would consider Mojo kind of the main villain of the show. He's the one that's there most often. Um and it's not surprising that he is because he's the most sort of traditional of the villains and he is a frenemy. Uh, you see episodes where basically like Mojo needs the girls, you know, and the girls need Mojo, right? Yeah, and Mojo is technically their brother, really. Like, so Mojo Jojo and also kind of their dad. Yeah, Mojo Jojo was originally just Mojo or Jojo, sorry, and he was a monkey. No, he was a chimp who worked with Professor Utonium. And he pushed Professor Utonium when he was making the girls and caused Chemical X to spill. And that explosion gave him his super brain and the girls existing. So he's their brother dad, which makes any conflict between them and Mojo a family squabble. Um, The majority of the show is a family squabble. And... They work, they team up a couple times. One episode, Mojo is their babysitter. That episode is fucking amazing. Um, it's so goddamn good. Okay, so everybody, there is, Mojo is sitting, this is a good kind of place to like end with Mojo. And I think that I, I'm going to play you a clip, our first ever clip. And Paige, I'll let you know when it's finished up. And okay. it, it basically, Mojo is going to tell the girls a bedtime story after a tortuous night, torturous night of like watching them, they torture him. And so he goes to tell this story and this is an excellent moment in the show. Just, uh, just listen up. I will tell you my favorite story about the greatest conqueror who ever lived, Napoleon. He was a mighty man, feared by all who looked up to him. Using his genius and his loyal army, he conquered all of Europe, then all of Russia, and finally the whole world. The end. Portugal and the subsequent rebellion by the Spaniards cost France over 300,000 casualties, untold sums of money, and contributed to the eventual weakening of the Napoleonic Empire. And your analysis on the invasion of Russia is also incorrect. Napoleon's invasion of 1812 resulted in massive casualties of his troops due to starvation and inclement conditions and ended in a disastrous retreat from Moscow with his army defeated. Yeah, dummy! And when he returned to France, the Allied 
nations of Europe united against him, which led to his eventual defeat at the Battle of Waterloo on June 18, 1815, where after he was exiled to the island of St. Helena, where he died a miserable death from stomach cancer on May 5th, 1821. Okay, so basically, as you just heard, <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, they just break into this very detailed historical analysis of Napoleon while smacking Mojo with pillows. So... If that doesn't convince you to go watch the show, I don't know what will. Yeah, and it's apropos of nothing, by the way. There's one other time where they smack down a villain with a historical analysis, but that has actual context. They just do that to Mojo for fun. <laughs> yeah, there's there are a couple of these rants that they go on that are like super correct and technical. Another time is when Miss Keen teaches the kindergarten class like temporal dilation and like light physics like the dynamics of traveling at the speed of light um mm -hmm. i might play that one next time so i i think yeah. that we've spent a lot of time talking about the villains i want to do a second episode yeah, I think we need a second episode. So there are a couple of more villains, like one-off villains that I want to discuss and or specific episodes. And I want to talk about the girls themselves yeah. and the professor and Miss Bellum and all that stuff. You'll notice that like the f there was no discussion of their family, which I think is very important. And that's because it looks like we're going to be talking about the good main cast next time. Um, interesting that we chose to do that. We hmm. went to the villains first. Are we... I think that's valid for Powerpuff Girls, you know? Yeah, the villains are key. Mm -hmm. Without them, important. the Powerpuff all right, Girls would so be nothing. All right, so next week we'll, uh, we'll get back to you all with our analysis of the goodies uh, part of the main cast of Powerpuff Girls. Uh, but until then, I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates. Um, if you are listening to this on iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe because it will really help other people find the show. If you're interested in seeing updates for us, from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Animates. Um, we have a Facebook page. It's Animates Podcast. And if you have any burning questions or feedback or theories that you want to share with us, you can email us. It's animateease at gmail.com.